0: people today you have Jake and Seth and we are discussing the 2020 David Fincher film Mank starring Gary Oldman Amanda Seyfried Lily Collins and then just a, a really deep cast of supported actors and actresses made for about between 20 and 30 million but it was on Netflix so there was almost no marketing spent on it so it's probably 20 to 30 million on the nose and only made 99, a thousand in the box office but once again it's because this is made for netflix so they just have to do some minor releases and i think new york and LA for two weeks in order to get uh be eligible for awards so that's why there's some box office there but I-, I tried to find numbers on whether or not this was a hit for netflix in terms of the amount of views it generated or watches couldn't really find much on that but i know it's been really well received critically um and it's the around tomatoes seems like go get some awards looks, um, and with that, I'm gonna throw it to you, Seth. This you, this is one of your recommendations, so I know you're. A Fincher yeah, I mean, it's uh,
1: David Finch is one of those guys that's like I'm gonna watch any movie he comes out with. He's kind of become that big of a director for me. Um, this movie clearly was like a personal one for him, and it's one he's been trying to get made since the mid '90s, I think. Um, his dad uh, wrote the screenplay. Um, his, you know, I think his dad knew uh, the characters portrayed in this movie uh, personally on some levels and kind of knew a lot more about the time period and stuff. And so, I mean, what's amazing about this movie was just all the detail about sort of recreating the time period and stuff, and recreating 1940s Hollywood. Um, the, I mean, he uses uh, – I, I couldn't tell you the cameras or any – that he does, but he clearly like uses all these forty film techniques to try to recreate that kind of atmosphere. I know he used uh, he used instruments from the period, period uh, in the musical score that was done by Trent Reznor, his longtime collaborator. Uh, that that's you know, it's like when you hear the music, it actually sounds like an old violin and stuff. It doesn't sound like modern music. It has this like kind of warmth to it. There's all these incredible details about it that uh, other directors wouldn't put into a movie. There's also I know uh, all the actors involved. Uh, I mean, Fincher's built up this reputation, much like Hubrick, of doing hundreds and hundreds of takes for single scenes. And some of the scenes in this movie are incredibly long and have lots and lots of dialogue. Uh, and so I know all the actors at a certain point kind of like hit a breaking point in terms of like just doing these scenes over and over and over again. And I think that kind of speaks to some of the gaps in Fincher's career at this point, that he, he's got such a didactic style it's hard for some of the actors to go along with it. Um, I will say Gary Oldman's performance, I, that was very, very high level, like very high level performance. Uh, some of his facial expressions, his line deliveries, he kind of recreates this wheezing old screenwriter. It was a great portrayal. All of that being said, I didn't think the movie was that good. I actually think it's one of the Fincher's worst, not worst movies, but it's like, it's a little bit better than Benjamin Button was kind of like my end takeaway. And that's not, it has nothing to do with all of those techniques I was talking about. I think he just kind of got bogged down in the fact that, you know, if you think about Gone Girl or Social Network or some of his more recent movies, they have this editing style that's incredibly rapid and it feels like he's packing in more than a single movie into his movie. And in this one, he's clearly kind of following his father's screenplay and also recreating that 40s style of filming. And those two things hand in hand kind of took him out of his own sort of pattern I think and it really it slowed it slowed the film down unbelievably and you get caught up in these long scenes of dialogue that's hard to I mean I'm a fan of dialogue I'm a fan of good actors delivering it and stuff and I'm you know some of the scenes were really good honestly some of the party scenes in Curse castle I found to be very interesting but at the end of the day you can't do that for two hours plus. You can't just do long, hard dialogue. It's not going to be that entertaining for the viewer, I, I, and that's kind of where this movie lost itself. I think.
0: So I'm so glad you went first once again. You took all <laughs> of my feelings and put them in a very condensed uh, version. <clears throat> the only things I would, I couldn't agree with you more on what worked about it and what and what I liked. Uh, the mu- the music surprised me. I, it looks like Trent Reznor did the score. Some of the, the music. Uh, I love him i love when he works with venture i didn't expect it to be him but totally felt like i was moved like transported to this other time and two of the things that occurred to me were that i felt they did two of the hardest things one was recreating that hollywood setting although i didn't like the black and white decision we can talk about that later i understand why they did it i just didn't like it um and sure. the other is the dialogue but my takeaway was similar i feel like he gets bogged down he loses his way he can't do the forest through the trees but i i just came away with it there'd be this great scene of dialogue and then i realized that they weren't really saying anything the characters hadn't changed and to your right. point we talked about this with eight uh, millimeter it sounds like a weird comparison but in eight <laughs> millimeter what you get for about an hour of the movie is you're watching a guy watch some really awful things and it's not a good watch Watching a drunk asshole be a drunk asshole to everyone for two hours, it loses its steam by the end. And then for the at the end, when you realize that he's the organ grinder's monkey and he really is the asshole, just like he's been acting this whole time, it's and I'm very I'm that is an oversimplification of the story, but I didn't expect it to end with him being like Ebenezer Scrooge on the day of Christmas after seeing the ghosts but for me walking away from the film was it was like he had his win he got his win great like yeah he was a he was a loser who was drinking himself into oblivion and this didn't change it like it was his last mark on the world but he still never did anything after it and if it's the price he paid to be remembered that that i get but i didn't feel that in the movie i didn't walk away with that and i think that's what he's trying to go for but for me i just kind of I think Goldman gives a great performance, but I don't like Mink. I
1: agree. <laughs> Mink's not a likable character, honestly. I mean, he's he's pretty much horrible to everyone he encounters. <laughs> he, he, you know, he's kind of supposedly done some good things in his past. There's that scene where the woman kind of says he helped her out during the war and stuff. But for the most part, he's just a – he's an arrogant uh, – not a blowhard, but, like, he's a – almost just like, I want to call him a troublemaker. Like he'll have a few drinks and he'll, he'll let his intelligence kind of go the wrong way sort of thing. Or he's very quippy. Um, I, I actually, the, the Hearst castle party scenes, um, I, I think were the best scenes in the movie because so many people are involved and there's so much happening in those scenes and you're kind of trying to catch so much about the conversation. Um, but it's, like, the scenes, it's, like, that's fine to have those big centerpiece scenes, you know, in Hearst Castle. All of it's, all of that stuff was cool to me, but it's, like, all the auxiliary scenes where it's, like, the uh, so the movie's kind of working on two timelines. One's in the late 30s where he's kind of hanging out at Hearst Castle with his friends and stuff, and the other timeline is while he's writing Citizen Kane, like, in this hotel room. And I thought the scenes in the hotel room it's not a good enough juxtaposition from the scenes in Nurse castle because it's still just a guy in a bed talking to his like nurse or to his wife or to whoever comes into that room, and so it's like there's nothing in the movie that feels like it's flowing or moving or any you know there's no not even like there's no it's like
0: there's no narrative a, momentum
1: yeah. And, and Oldman's in every single scene, and it's not like you suddenly have a scene between Hearst and Marion Davies, or you suddenly have a scene with Orson Welles, and what is he doing behind the scenes with this movie? It's like, no, you're just staying with Mank the whole time, and it's like, okay, that's fine to do that, but you have to, you, the, the narrative has to move, like you said. It's like, you just feel like he's in that room, and he's in Hearst Castle, and that's what the whole movie is.
0: That's such a... I, once again, hadn't really put that together, but in terms of that's why the movie, I said my usual, I feel like it lacked, lacked momentum, and I agree with you. I think that's 100% what it is, and also, looking back on it, a good portion of those opening scenes come before you've really established his character, or at least with the audience, yeah. at least, and, it's, and then when you go back to them, I think the Organ Grinder's Monkeys first mentioned in the, at that setting, and then oh, again... Yeah, that whole metaphor, yeah. And... They, this is what bothered me and i'm not trying to be a smart ass and i understand it it could come off as like a jackass comment but again the takeaway at the end was that he is this drunk asshole who is there really at the graces of Hearst and meyer these more powerful men and that was evident to me from the beginning because he's at their parties and they are letting really just letting him be an asshole because i'm assuming he was a good writer or is a good writer they don't really establish why he has so much capital with them especially when they establish he's got all these gambling debts so I that's, I, I do admit well okay, like I so, probably then, missed some nuance there but what one of the things about it I'm getting too lost in the weeds there but it was just I think the message of the film I think this would have been a bit a better film if it were made in the 60s or 70s or 80s I think it maybe too thats old. yeah I, that's an interesting
1: point it might you know if this was like starring Jack Nicholson in the 70s that would be an
0: interesting movie you know? I think I like, I yeah I think for 70s America that message really really means something I think for the post I think the world we live in today like that's not a, I don't think that's gonna move the needle as much as he thinks
1: well I, th- I think you're right in terms of like this this guy Mank was a guy that kind of hung around powerful men. And, and, like, he had his own talent, but he was nowhere near as influential. You know, it's, like, you're right. It's, like, he was hanging around Hearst Castle, and Hearst, you know, Hearst was paying his salary for most of the time, even when he was at MGM. And then, uh, you know, when he's, even when, you know, it's, like, Citizen Kane's not going to be made without Orson Welles. And so it's, like, but I, I do think there's sort of a message in this movie somewhere, it's not a very clear-cut message, but I do think that there's an argument it's making that Mank is the real genius of Citizen Kane. And that it wasn't really Wells. Wells got the movie made, but the genius in that movie would only have come from an insider at Hearst Castle like Mank was. And uh, there is some truth to that. And like, there's a reason it won the Oscar for the screenplay. And it's like, it is a great screenplay. It is a great movie. I don't attribute, uh, you know, I don't know what percentage I attribute to Mank and what I attribute to Wells. I'll tell you this, though, I give more credit to Wells, even after watching this movie.
0: I, the only thing. As the film went on, and really towards the end, I hadn't realized there was, I guess, this controversy or argument. So when I realized, I had, you know, that I had just,
1: always assumed Wells wrote everything. So I, as I was watching it, I was like, "Oh, this is interesting that he was really more involved with first that Wells was."
0: It's interesting. We we joked about Chewie getting a medal in uh, the last <laughs> Star Wars. This to me kind of felt like this whole movie was so make could have his medal on the on the mantle of Citizen Kane. And that's fine. I mean, if it's the best movie of all time and he was that big a part of it, he does deserve credit, but you mentioned, and I read that this was David Fincher's dad's film or script. and the more right. we talk about it again, I have no idea who Fincher is. So get ready for a little armchair psychology. This felt like a pet project that yeah. should have remained a pet project. And what I mean, not that it shouldn't have been made. I think you could have made a much better version of this with no names. On, yes. With, with actual do two sets, and or make a series. Do a so real I had series. heard series.
1: I had heard in the nineties he was going to attempt to do it on a much lower, more like an independent movie, much lower budget. Kevin Spacey was going to be the lead. This was kind of post Seven uh, era, and uh, I think that movie, for all I know, that movie would have been way better. It's clear to me. The studios got scared of doing a black and white movie, and his dad did the screenplay writer. And I don't think Fincher had quite as, as much juice as he could have, as he needed to get it done. He waited on it till he had this deal with Netflix, and he had carte blanche with Netflix. You know, after he created uh, House of Cards and uh, Mind Hunter, it's like he had carte blanche for this movie. And so it's like it's clear to me. You're right. It's his pet project. Everything about it is the way he wanted it. It's like uh, I think he was very. You know, it's his little baby, and it's like, that's fine. I, I think I was just expecting a better, like, when I went into it, I thought, my God, how much effort, you know, David Fincher's putting into this. It's got to be one of his better movies. And then it's like, he kind of over thinks it or overdoes it. It just, it wasn't, it didn't flow right. It's not, it's just not a great movie. You know, it's it's an interesting movie. It has interesting performances and interesting scenes, but it's by no means a great movie.
0: It is not. And there are a couple of things I just wanted, that you hit on, that I want to circle back to uh the first being that it's ironic that this movie make it's about a writer it's about it could be seen from orson the orson welles part the greatest director on his pet project was really he needed this writer as inspiration and right. looking at this what i think fincher really needed as you said he had carte blanche and everything he needed just like uh wells did from rko in the film he needed a right. writer with a story, with a better story than this. And that's not an insult to his dad, but this, as I said, feels like it was written by his dad, who I'm assuming is dead now. And if he knew these guys in the thirties was probably developed in the seventies and eighties, like this movie felt dated. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of the ideas we touched on some of it, a lot of the political, I, I'm a history buff and I needed to be looking up things to understand what was going on with up And Sinclair, this movie relies too much on history they think they treat history like it's very popular topical events and it just I also think hurts all of yeah,
1: all, it yeah all of that happens so fast and it's hard to keep up with all the political stuff. And on top of that it's like in that room, there's all these like actors and Hollywoods and socialites and stuff and I'm trying to figure out who everybody is. but it's like Fincher gives you none of that. It's just like you got, you know it's like you watch once upon a time in Hollywood. And, you know, Tarantino will freeze the screen and tell you who people are and all that. But it's like, with the Finch movie, you're just like, you're on your own kind of... I, some of that I respect. Some of that I was just like, I don't know who everyone is. I don't know what they're talking about. So it's just kind of hard.
0: I also had a hard time tracking the different timelines at first. Because, as you said, some happened really quickly. Some weren't happening slow. And there was no real difference in the people, the way they looked or were depicted. It, it, it took
1: a little bit to get into the rhythm of, like, the tube timeline. Yeah, I was having things. I was like, is this the 40s or the
0: 30s? And now I have a question... But it's more so it's because you mentioned this. We can save it for later, but I just want to get it out right now because he left hunters to do this. And when I found out he was leaving hunters to do a movie, I was not happy. And then when I found out he was leaving it to do a passion project movie, and I just remember seeing the name. And I, I was I knew it wasn't I wasn't gonna like it. I just couldn't <laughs> imagine what Mank was that I was gonna like. And then and then it, the description came out. And I was willing to give it a chance because David Fincher has earned the right to yeah. for me to be interested in in his films. He's so good, and it's actually watching this film. I didn't realize how good he was, and how many of his films I really like. Because I kind of gravitate towards the Benjamin Buttons, uh, but and the Alien Threes, which I've actually come around on. But that that's a side note. Uh, what bothers Mindhunters, I think, is one of the better shows on Netflix. I think it's one of the better true crime shows, and it's one of the better just shows. I've seen in 10 years and it had so much momentum and it felt like it was really building to a season three or four with the green river killer. And to find out that he pulled the plug on it, do this film now for seeing the film, I'm pretty devastated because as someone who just loves David Fincher, it's like you're pitching a no hitter and you're stopped and you're like, you know what? I want to go try and be a basketball player. Like a reverse Michael Jordan. It just doesn't make sense.
1: It's the first time in his career where I really do blame him. I think, you know, for Alien 3, uh, it wasn't totally his fault. And I think even Benjamin Button, I wouldn't totally blame him for kind of why that movie didn't work. But I, this is the first movie where it's like, know yo, you were the one that took all the money. You <laughs> fully developed this. It's your dad's screenplay. It's like everything is on you. And so, yeah, the fact that it's not, you know, one of his better movies, I do blame him for that. And I think, you know... I mean, I understand why he made the choice, but I agree with you. As a fan of him and his work and of Mindhunter, it's like, I would much rather give me another season of Mindhunter than this, you know, nonsense. It's like, I don't need a black and white <laughs> two-hour make movie. I, But like you, I wanted to give him the chance. I wanted to see what his pet project was. I knew he was going super deep on it. I mean... It's I mean, it's conflicting.
0: If his desire was for me to come away from the movie liking William Randolph Hearst, who is by all accounts not a historically likable figure, but who comes off as sympathetic in this and dislike Mank, mission accomplished. Because well, (laughs) I would say I disliked Mank and I felt bad for Hearst, and it was through the Seyfried character as she really humanizes him. And you find out that she really – whether you believe her or not, I guess it's a question, but I believe – I thought say, you the supporting cast is incredible, namely Safree, Charles Dance, his brother Tom Palfrey, but Safree and Dance really. I, okay, were so the, okay. Were the highlights.
1: I got one like monster gripe with this movie, and we're coming up to it right now, so I just got to get it off my chest. the The biggest gripe, the, and the reason that this will never be a great movie. Okay. Amanda Seyfried, good performance, enjoyed her performance. Um, also, the woman who plays Sarah, Mank's wife. Good performance, enjoyed a performance like the. Peppers Middleton. Yes. <laughs> both of those people, okay. Uh, in real life, Mank's wife was the same age as him. In real life, uh, what's her name? Marion um, Davies was one year younger than Mank. Those two actresses are both 25 plus years younger than Gary Oldman. They needed to be older. Or Gary Oldman needs to be a little bit younger. You got to narrow that gap. Okay, all these people are of the same age and you have somebody 20, you know, over half old men's age is in there. And it just when I realized that I was like and I saw people complaining about that. I was like, that's a bad I mean, for Fincher to go so deep into using 40s music and stuff and to not realize the age of these women. That's where I'm kind of like, that's an error that, you you know, if you're this big perfectionist and you're some Kubrickian, you know, you, you
0: have to be aware of these people's ages that's his nipples on a breastplate that's his like zack snyder gal gadot booty booty cut short on her it
1: was my biggest problem after reading about this movie
0: so i didn't i didn't read about that but one of my main gripes was why if my notes were i get that it's william randolph Hearst and these hollywood guys and it's probably accurate for the age difference to be so glaring but it would have really helped if it wasn't 60 and 70 year old men Hooking up with these hot hotties. Sorry, that's probably with these beautiful actresses and also like great actresses in the prime. Lily Collins, although I know they don't hook up, it's like a platonic friendship, but Lily Collins, Amanda Seyfried, Tuppence Middleton, they're all, they're also all doing great jobs. And I I commend Fincher for giving them all pretty meaty roles and making them strong women and characters. I feel like in their own right, maybe there's some argument there, but I thought they were all well developed characters. I mean, we talk about, what was it uh... I thought,
1: I thought Seafried was great with Davies that scene where they kind of walk around her castle and they see the monkeys and the different animals I thought that was a great kind of moment in the movie that kind of took you out of the setting a
0: little bit I thought that castle scene the scene when she's leaving the the park yeah and then when yeah. she goes to visit him those I didn't feel like they did a good job so that first scene when they're in the zoo or that menagerie. I was my at first. I didn't like it. I was like, I feel like they haven't earned this, but they earned it in that scene. It was such great chemistry, and they built on that chemistry throughout. Yeah, I think for me, that really sold it. That I do believe Mink felt they, bad so, about writing it, but but he was doing it, and he knew I was doing it. He, he did it because he's an asshole,
1: right? Yeah. They they also they make a big deal of how in this movie they make a big deal of saying how Marion Davies wasn't exactly like the character in Citizen Kane, and it's like I think that's something people kind of lost track of and people when people think back of Marion davies they're actually thinking of the citizen kane character but that's not really who she was and it kind of tried to explain that in this movie she was at mary davis was a pretty big star and like she wasn't kind of just this washed up person i mean she was helped by hearst but i think she in her own right she was more talented than kind of the way she's portrayed in citizen kane and in this movie they're kind of like makes constantly like it's not her it's not her it's you know it's a different like person and it's like i just found that kind of interesting once again that
0: that felt like the chewbacca metal moment like they're trying to write some ancient wrong and i get it and that's nice and it's noble but it probably made more sense when his dad wrote it 30 40 years ago like it doesn't it hasn't It just has no meaning
1: now, Jenny. Like, nobody cares, you know, no one thinks of Marion Davis.
0: (laughs) You're talking about a cultural reference from a movie that was made almost 80 years ago, over 80 years ago, that most people don't even know about, and about an actress who no one's ever heard of. It's just, it's a nice moment, and I'm glad she she gets this historical reprieve, or historical, uh, and that's nice, and I respect, same for Mink, but I So after Josh, Josh Whedon, and not that he should emulate his career, after he made Avengers, he made a pet project. He made an adaptation of a Shakespeare play, like over for a million or two dollars, over the course of two or three weeks at his house or something like that, his personal house. That's how you make make venture. Yeah, yeah. Do it on a shoestring budget, and he had all these great actors, and they'll do like if you, that he got Nathan Fillion and all these great actors, and then Clark Gregg. To come in, because it's Joss Whedon. It's a limited amount of time, and it's his pet project. You have the pull to get those people to come. You don't need a $30 million. It, they it, did, I, it
1: should have been an independent movie. I don't know why it was a big
0: budget. I mean, it just should be. Well, I, they coming away from it, I can't imagine this is going to drive a lot of views. Like, uh, how much? when Adam Sandler is driving your viewership and Netflix, how much of an audience does this really have? And I know the range is like one of their advantages, but I just, and I can't find anything about how many views it's driven, which is not a good sign.
1: (laughs) Coming away from it, it actually made me, you know, having watched this and the Irishman and I'm trying to think of some of the other like Netflix movies that they just kind of like made on their own. But it's like, it's clear to me if you let a Scorsese, you know, you let Scorsese or Fincher do whatever they want. It sounds great on the surface, but at the end of the day, it's like, maybe this movie needed more notes from the producer, you know? Maybe Irishman needed another trailer. It's like, when you take away all the shackles, I think you do kind of lose a little bit of like, hey, there's still an audience that's going to watch this. Let's make sure the audience is going to enjoy themselves. And when you let some of these creators have no, you know, uh, you know, well, it's no instructions. It's,
0: it's so funny you say that, and this movie is really pertinent to it. anyone who's a movie fan and if you're you're not if this is news to you we apologize if not a huge gripe in hollywood is that the producers get in the way of the artists and the directors and seth and i there are tons of examples of that but there are also times like there is a reason there's a process in place whether it's the notes from on one of the producers on avengers oh sorry jumping Kevin Feig in the first X-Men insisted Wolverine had that iconic haircut. He was a junior producer, but he was insistent on it, and everyone was resistant at first, and he sold it through, and it was huge. He was able to convey how important it was to the series. One of the producers convinced Robert Downey Jr. to do the I Am Iron Man line at the end of the uh, endgame. That sounds silly, but those are good things. There's tons of bad examples, but when producing is going well, they finance a movie, and they're able to tweak it in a couple ways to either make it attract more people, make more money, be better, et cetera. And I don't know anything about the process because I've never made a movie, but what's funny is the same problem this movie had, that Irishman had, that triple frontier had, that all the, all the low budget horror films have is they're missing something. And it's something that feels like it should be caught on the editing room floor or at a writer's table. It's, hey, this movie's three and a half hours long and has no woman in it, uh, Pacino. Uh, excuse me, Scorsese. That doesn't make sense. Triple Frontier, uh, there's a movie about six guys who are supposed to be really highly trained and they just make, all they do is make mistakes on the back half of this opera, like, mission. doesn't make sense. Wh- whatever it is, and in this film it would be, hey, if you're going to make a movie about 1930s Hollywood that was literally defined by color and the Wizard of Oz, which is mentioned, why don't you have some color in the film to really work? Like, think, give it a little more life, especially if you're gonna have no real momentum, no real dialogue, and this real stilted way of telling the story between two timelines. Or hey, maybe you get uh, Laura Linney or some other age-appropriate women to play opposite Gary Oldman in these roles. Who are supposed right, to be kids? Yes. There's just. Yeah. And that was a long rant, but. And no, you're specific, totally right.
1: Yeah, it's like you 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 lose something when you take away those producers and those people. I mean, it's like I understand all these artists are beating their heads against them for most of the time and stuff, but it's like it also it's like, I mean, there there is a process, and like those producers have jobs for a reason, and it's like they they understand the viewers and they understand what viewers are looking for. They understand what's going to generate money, and it's like want to get that on the screen. That's so all they're worried about.
0: I, I think the way I look at it or differentiate is directors are there to win awards, producers are there to make money. And yes. yes. And the best relationships do both. But the if i Kevin Feige I think, really wanted to make a Marvel movie win something and just say fuck the continuity, screw the like and he wanted to make a solo individual film that was Intense as Joker, he could do it. It'd probably take a few turn turns and he'd probably ruin his whole s- series, but they could probably do it. But he's not trying <laughs> to. Really- good.
1: Yeah. And uh, you mentioned the the color, of the black and white, and just touching on that real quick, I actually came away with it thinking it might have worked better if the black and white was just on the timeline where he's working on Citizen Kane in the 40s. And if he had done color in the past, when you get to Hearst Castle, I think that would have been more interesting if Chris Castle was popping with all the colors and the animals and all that kind of stuff and the famous actors and stuff. But the whole thing in black and white, I mean, I get, he's trying to be of the air and stuff. I think that's pretty much what he's going for. I don't think it's anything too deep. But, like, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't know. I would have. Prefer, I think I would have preferred just mixing it up a little bit more.
0: For a movie that was given creative freedom, it was surprisingly uncreative. Yeah. I don't even think that's even proper English. Unimaginative. It, it just, it was lacking something.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, lacking it's a like,
0: lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real cool, and the, like
1: for your centerpiece character to be this total asshole, it's like there's a, like it's lacking a warmth. You need like a funny sidekick or something for him, you know? It's like, uh, you just need something to lighten stuff.
0: You need to make the brother or the wife or one of his platonic aides tell it through their eyes. I think that's the way to do it. And then Maybe, give them a little yeah. more. Uh,
1: i don't know i'm not like, i think you know, like,
0: you're, you're a better producer for this one than i am
1: uh, yeah i just i would have preferred, like i would have enjoyed a scene or two with wells just kind of working on the movie on his own and i would have preferred a couple scenes between Hearst and his wife and just them talking about what was happening and stuff i just thought I, I mean far be it for me to criticize jack fincher the screenwriter
0: <laughs> far be it from us before a film that's about the creative process to so wholly dedicated to the one to the one position that was lacking in this namely a writer <laughs> It's yes. it's pretty ironic and it's it's a little sweet in terms of cosmic justice. Yes. Yeah. We're gonna take a slight break, so consider this your intermission, folks. We'll be back in a momento. we're going to get to the question phase right now and this is clearly more in Seth's realm here because there's no superheroes uh so I'm going to be <laughs> asking him some questions I hope I can
1: answer these Jake
0: first okay Seth don't get upset and I just I'm going to say again I don't want you to get upset with me with this question and I can already tell you're running hot right now so just it's out there I need you to I'll be pour some cold water on myself pour some right cool now. Water. I'm asking you to towel off before we even hit the field, but. All right, here it goes. Is Fincher a better TV director than movie director? Oh, I mean, I this I admit this is a little bit of what have you done for me lately? But just asking, I'm I'm thinking off. Mink really stink in my mouth, so um, it could be a little bitterness. But all right, I'm gonna let you answer. It. I'm sorry. Uh,
1: I think well, I I'll tell you this, Jake. There's an argument for it, and I think the argument. Is if you include his uh, his MTV things, and if you're like a big fan of like Vogue or you know some of those Madonna music videos and stuff, and then you're a big fan of Mindhunter. I'm trying to see did he do any other TV stuff besides like music videos? House of Cards, House of Cards. That's true. Um, I would still contend that Fight Club Seven and Social Network and Zodiac are uh, his, his superior pieces of work. And those are all movies.
0: <laughs> okay, I agree because that was literally a thought that occurred to me as I was writing it, as I was writing the my write-up at the end of the movie. And then I looked to his filmography. And so that kind of leads into the second question. Okay. It sounds like you already ranked him. First of all, Fincher's great. So it's going to be a, a two-pronged question. Where do you rank Fincher among cu- current directors? And what are your top five? And The reason I ask this, I knew for some reason I was assigning a couple Aronofsky movies to Fincher in my mind's eye. And I think in it, you or two when I looked at his filmography, it's pretty incredible. And it's in terms of general output. I think Mank is the first one I've watched that I didn't really enjoy with the exception of maybe curious case of Benjamin Button. It's yes. just a weird movie. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I just, it was weird. Um, so sorry, not for me. Um, two pronged question. Where do you, in any order, how you want to rank your top five, or if you can say so, where you rank him in the modern directors. I
1: think he's unquestionably one of the great uh, American directors at this point. Um, I I think it's like when you talk about like best current directors, um, it's hard because it's like. Are you talking about who's making the best movies right now? Or are you talking about who who's still active
0: with the best body? Of work? I mean, who's made a movie in the last 15 years, 10 to 15 years. If you haven't made a movie in 10 to 15 years, then you're not active.
1: Okay. Okay. That makes sense. But it's like, that would still see what I'm saying. is like, that would still include people like Copeland Scorsese. Cause technically they've made movies in that time. Sam was Spielberg. So, so it's hard to be like, those guys are out, you
0: know, I'll do, let me make this delineation. Okay. If you say they're better than Coppola, I'm not that doesn't mean all time. Well, let's say so Alien 3 was 1992 just on that time frame. Generally right. 90s to today. If you want to So,
1: yeah, that's like uh, it's like the uh,
0: of the uh, really our consciousness. I know what you're saying. Our, like it's really I consider our consciousness yeah. as fans.
1: So, I think the the guys that I would mention uh, it would be Fincher, Tarantino, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Soderbergh um, the guy who's like really close for me is uh, Aronofsky um, and also like the Cohen brothers I think you have to include them. that's a
0: pretty it's awesome. like that's, that's kind a of pretty six. awesome list though. That, that's, yeah that's a pretty good list I don't I have one I was six. just
1: asking you <laughs> <laughs> off the top of my head like those are the guys it's like I don't think you can talk about the last 20 30 years of film without just like real like all of those guys too at different points they've been ahead of each other at different points they've kind of like fallen back at times even tarantino you know it's like he's had his ups and downs uh coen brothers might be the most consistent fincher is like i mean all all those guys have a case for being the best of that group uh it's like
0: controversial and i don't even like saying this because i know he's a total asshole brian singer would have been in that conversation before he was properly canceled. If you look at his films, if you add in *Usual Suspects*, he was yeah, also. But it's like
1: all those guys have like three or four like really great ones. Like, what else does he have besides *Usual Suspects*? It's he like did *Bohemian
0: one. Rhapsody*. He was kicked off *Bohemian Rhapsody*. The X Men. But branch. that's not even like. I mean, come yeah. on. Wait, that, are you kidding me? *Bohemian Rhapsody* was a huge hit. That was. What I know was? it was a huge hit, but it's like, and it got okay. it was nominated for awards. I think I it know. won a couple Oscars uh the I'm, i know you you disagree but the x-men franchise at least the first two incredible i hear what you said but that like i would
1: i would almost put singer in that category with like the wikovskis where it's like okay it's that's kind of
0: a different... that's a better classification i'll i'll, I'll okay, retreat. thank you for that i'll retreat <laughs> looking at it now i i think though days of future past the first two three of his top five movies are x-men so it's that's a little bit of a stretch uh me, I, I, I hear was, what you're
1: saying though. Like, uh, like in the mid '90s, I would have been right there with you. Like when Usual Suspects came out, people were like, "Is this better than Pulp Fiction?"
0: <laughs> no one
1: remembers that now.
0: We we don't need to spend any more time on saying I'm sorry, but it's so funny. Yeah, it, they were had, at similar points around the late '90s, and I mean, Fincher did what Mink couldn't, and he had his masterpiece with Seven. And then he followed it up with Fight, uh, Fight Club. And then he's just produced high quality. I don't think he's ever reached those heights again. But uh, right. I'll give and him like, credit. He's done really well since then.
1: Yeah. And like I was saying, it's like, you know, if Mank had been a home run, I, I might put Fincher right at the top of the list. But because it's kind of a miss, and then you're like, well, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson hasn't done Something super great since the Masters so like he's kind of had a couple weird ones, but like Tarantino, he just did Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so maybe he's like back to the top of that list. You know, it's like I feel like it just depends on like who just had the last really good one, kind of.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're going by box office, it's got to be the Russo brothers. There you go. <laughs> and you Russo's, know, and the conva and as you know, box office is king for me. I just think it's the end all be all.
1: Um, Cash is king, where Jay comes from.
0: Um that is a joke. Uh, Any more Fincher thoughts? So, what would you? It sounds like you kind of ranked him before. Your top, I think, seven: Fight Club, Social Club. Those are your top.
1: So, yeah, I would. Man, it's. Oh, uh, this should actually be mentioned. The, the Social Network is probably the a modern the, of modern movies the closest uh, comparison to A Citizen Kane, where it's about a guy who kind of invents the modern day newspaper. And his rosebud is his girlfriend. And at the end of the movie, he, he, you know, constantly his friend requesting his old girlfriend. And it's like, that's his rosebud. That was the whole propelling of what, how he made his thing. And it's like, instead of a whole lifetime, it just happened over a few years. But if you think about that movie, it's actually very similar to the way Citizen Kane was made.
0: That's a great point. And I think my feeling with Social Club is I think it's probably his best film, but it's not necessarily my top favorite. because That's others how I, I feel, think too. Are more yeah. It's like... As a critic, you probably rate that one
1: the highest, but if I was going to pick one to watch, it'd probably be like Fight Club or Seven or something like that. You know, Zodiac's a fun watch too, even though it's a weird. It's a dark subject. I enjoy watching
0: Zodiac. I, was, I didn't like Zodiac when it came out, and I even knew going into it it was more cerebral and it was going to be indecisive, uh, which is very similar to the case, which is unsolved. But I, the more I see it, this doesn't happen with three-hour horror movies for me normally. But, uh, or dramas, but the more I see Zodiac, the more I like it and the performances, and it has this tension that he builds through other means. And yes, it really is. And the, the attack scenes are, are terrifying. It's just a very interesting movie.
1: I don't, it's, it's what I call a lot of people don't like slow burns, but that one's a good slow burn.
0: That one's a good slow burn. So for me, it's the seven Fight Club, Zodiac, and then I think Gone Girl is. I have to, it's so good. I haven't seen as many times, but I've read the book. It's such a great adaptation.
1: I actually, I'm a, I'm a fan of Gone Girl. I think that's a really good movie. Also of note, I was reading this today. Uh, Fincher and Gary Oldman both share the same ex-wife. And apparently they really bonded over that. And apparently a lot of, when Fincher took on Gone Girl, he kind of put a lot of that divorce energy into that movie. I found all of that
0: to be interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, you can definitely tell there was some spousal spousal rage in that film, in terms of the creative process, especially in writing it, But um, the other thing I was going to say was, this could be controversial, Alien 3, director's cut. I give it oh, a you credit. All Knowing what he had to deal with and all the scripts they nixed and what he was put under, I think the extended director's cut version, has more action. It has a little more characterization. It, it's it's. I'm not talking like a Zack Snyder extended cut where you just get 10 more minutes of nonsense. Yeah. It's an actual, it's a better film. It's two and a half hours. I think that film was a victim of expectations. Going from a James Cameron film to a bunch of dirty convicts, like the James Cameron's action film to dirty convicts at a a junkyard was never going to be well received by any (laughs) audience. And so he was dealing with such a bad hand. And I think he made the best out of it.
1: I, I agree. Uh, and like, it almost ended his career, right? You know, it's like he went back to music videos for a couple of years after that. And uh, I think we're kind of lucky he ended up having the career he did.
0: Um, but it's yeah, so it's scary like scary if he really, if he had never come back. I know. I mean, if, he what had, if Michael uh, Bay did seven. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I, I, You know, I think that that whole that happening of him and Andrew Kevin Walker working together to make seven and him having the experience of the horrible studio, even though Jake and I were just talking about how he needs producers in alien three, he didn't need those people. Those people wrecked the movie. That's a great example of that.
0: Alien three is an example there. I think there's been a documentary made about it. Yeah. The, The script they ended up going with was one of 10 or like the ninth in a long process. And the first eight were all better scripts. And what happened was they just ended up wanting to make a cheaper film. They just, the, you they had multiple directors multiple films they started building sets having that was a typical film of the producers getting in their own way and taking what could have been an easy hand up. we could be on alien 10 right now if they had done it correctly but no it was just it ended up killing the the franchise for 20 years
1: I wanted to ask you, do you like the, you know, there's all these uh, sort of rumors and legends about him doing the the super duper long takes and doing hundreds of takes over and over again. And like now, you know, it's been like, you know, he did Gone Girl, it's been six years or something since he made a movie. And now he's done Mank. And apparently all the actors were like really, I don't want to say upset, but it just sounds like they were all kind of like over the whole like doing hundreds of takes over and over. And I was thinking to, I was like, I mean, I love his work. There is something about what he does that other directors can't do. I don't know if it's the hundreds of takes though. I I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. I know Kubrick used to do that
0: kind of stuff. Yeah, but Kubrick did it too much too. Did he really need to make Shelley Duvall rip her hair out to have a mediocre performance from her in that film? It's, I think at a certain point, it's like a indictment on their character, just being a control freak who knows this is upsetting them. And it's like, Oh, I get you want to upset your actor. And it's one thing to like walk up and yell and be mean to them in their face so they're emotional. Like that's not nice to torture everyone for hours on end to try and get the right emotion. It just feels so passive aggressive and I feel like I'm coming off really strong, but I always hated that. I just think it's such, I, I I have no idea. I'm not a director, but I hated it when I heard about Kubrick doing it. I didn't like it when I heard about him making jake gyllenhaal say one line a hundred times in a row right. like it's just it was like one line it was like a pickup line it, yep. it's just at a certain Apparently, point, something
1: similar happened to amanda seyfried in this where she had to like just do the same thing 200 times in a row well
0: it's kind of like but, uh, it's kind of like make at a certain point you're the asshole man like you're yeah. you're the joke like i don't yeah, know I what think, else to say i actually think kubrick
1: did it more cerebrally, the way you're talking where he knew it would affect the actors over time and he kind of wanted to have the control over them and he was kind of playing mind games i think what I've heard with Fincher is that it's like it's like he wants the wide shot with an amazing performance. And then he wants the over-the-shoulder shot with an amazing performance. Then he wants the over-shoulder shot from the other actor again, amazing performance, the entire thing. And so you think about like those dinner scenes they were doing, and it's like he wants to be able to do that wide shot with the whole dinner scene, everyone acting amazingly. And then he wants to do close ups of like each of those actors acting amazingly, the entire scene. And then he wants to do you know, it's like he wants to do all of his shots but he wants to do the full scene with each shot acted perfectly. And I think that's just like, I mean, for an actor, how many times can you really get your emotion to the right level over and over and over again? You know what I mean? At some point, you're going to burn out on that. Or, I mean, I don't know. For some directors, they say it's like you hit different levels, kind of like a marathon runner, and at some point you have a breakthrough. So I don't really know what happens, but it's like you hear these stories. It sounds crazy to me.
0: It's really easy for the director to say and then cut it himself, and you have no idea if he used the second or the hundredth. Right. Uh, The one thing I'll say, it makes sense given his style. We, as we said, he likes to edit. He's really good at editing. They use his words. His movies are almost always nominated or win awards, and it makes sense given that. But to use a sports analogy, and it's probably different in other sports, but in football, usually you're asked to run. If you get a touchdown, you're, you're asked to do it three times in a row, two times in a row, like more than once. To ask someone to score a touchdown six, seven times in a row, or all these different right, angles, yeah. it's, it can get a, it can get to be a lot. And using that same sports analogy, you're not dealing with high schoolers; you're dealing with professional actors and actresses who are yeah, being I mean, millions that's, of dollars and usually that, pampered. Like it's gonna, it, you're gonna get some pushback.
1: That scene where Oldman goes on his drunken rant and walks around the table and then vomits, and it's like this long scene for all it's this huge monologue, and he has to be drunk and he's slurring his words, and it's like. I can't imagine how many like how many times could a man do that before you're just like hey like i need i need a break here
0: yeah i it's i I'm inter- mean I'm in- yeah it, i'm interested to see <laughs> the movie behind the movie of this being made it's yeah it's I mean, it's own rank, things, if like, you would the behind yeah. the making of the making of the movie
1: i respect fincher and his craft and everything but it's like i do wonder if it's like if it's if that's the magic sauce, kind of, to his movies, the the hundreds of takes, or if it's just him, the way he edits and the way he shoots, like I don't know if like three hundred takes or something gives you an edge, but I do think it's getting to a point where it, I don't know if actors want to work with.
0: <laughs> I have like you know, people work don't. with studios cool. are are cuddling them now more than ever, as they should. They're and they have bigger roles in the process as like producers and everything. That like, yeah, I think yeah. you're gonna want to start maybe adjusting that technique, my man.
1: You hear about these Clint Eastwood movies and actors love it. He does two takes, you know, they they're done before schedule every day of shooting. It's like the most relaxed atmosphere. You, you hear about that and then you hear about Fincher just like do it again, do it again. It's just like no one wants to put up with that for a while. I I just it's amazing to me that someone could do
0: that with the amount of politics in Hollywood and actors and stuff. It's amazing to me that he can still kind of pull it's that the stuff. same reason why he was able to get this movie made. He's just got clout yeah. and now yeah. it, he's got clout. Everyone, the studios want to work with him. Oh, you know, we, uh, sorry,
1: we talked about the big directors before the one name I think we didn't mention should have been mentioned was Chris. Now.
0: Yes, yes, yes. We'll, we'll do another directors once and so we can re-rank them. Uh, but <laughs> that one's off the top of our heads, yeah. so It doesn't matter. Do we have, do you have any questions or I think I'm ready to go to final score when you are.
1: Um, did this make you feel different about citizen Kane? Or did this make you feel different about Orson or like any of that stuff? Orson, citizen Kane, any of those You're things? You're going to get
0: really mad. I actually haven't seen citizen Kane.
1: Oh boy. Jake. We'll have to watch it one time. So, and yeah, compare.
0: I'm, I'm the Philistine over here. Um, so I'll, <laughs> I'll have to, I know what it's about. Uh, not the same I bet I've read about it. I've wikipedia'd it. I've read all the articles I know a good deal about Orson Welles. I came away with this honestly thinking hey I'm sure Orson Welles did take a lot of credit for stuff that wasn't his but at the same time after watching this It sounds like it wouldn't have been made without him So maybe he deserves a little more credit than the guy who wrote the movie that would otherwise not be made
1: So I will I will say personally um, I think Citizen Kane's the best movie before Godfather sort of like in the lineage of great hollywood movies Uh, i really do think it was that big of a movie and that influential it's really the first sort of like modern adult movie like about something real you know it's not the wizard of oz or the jazz singer it's like it's a serious movie about serious things that were happening in the world and stuff and i you know and the filmmaking techniques in it are unbelievable for all i did not know this story and so for Majority of my life, I pretty much gave 100% credit to Orson Welles. You know, he's the lead actor. He's a great actor in the movie. He's the director. He's a great director. I thought he was the writer. But having seen this, it does make me realize that this guy, Mank, deserves some recognition for what he did with that movie. And it's like, you really wouldn't get all the details of that movie without somebody who was an insider. And it did make really, it's like wells is wells and i think he stroked his ego throughout his life and over time i think he got people to think that he was the writer of that movie but it's like this guy mank wrote the movie and he, i think he does deserve some credit for that despite all the fact that he was an asshole and treated women horribly and everything that happens with him but it's like and even like even the way he treats Hurst, i think is really you're right it's a pretty scummy thing to do to a guy who was your close friend not a close friend but like you know a guy you would hang out with, socialize with the parties. You know, he kind of completely turns his back. The whole drumming monkey thing, do you have any take on that metaphor?
0: Yeah, I had to look up what an organ grinder was. But again, it was, I hadn't heard that analogy. It's, the takeaway was that this guy is an organ grinder who plays music. Apparently, right. it got so that you play, paid them to go away. Uh, and they use monkeys to attract people to either hear their music or pay them to go away. I'm not really sure. I don't fully understand the economics behind it. But the idea being that, he was the jester which he was alluded to many times he was there for the amusement of these people and he thought because all these people were around him he had power but what he didn't realize was they had power so that's why they had him around because they are oh, yeah I think
1: he, yeah i think he thought they valued his opinion or you know but it's like they didn't he was their dancing monkey and that's all he was and so and once he kind of you know once he's walked out the door and told that metaphor by hearst it's like i think he's on his way to writing citizen kane eventually
0: it's a good example. I felt bad for them because they really portray as really the producers. They seem to be trying to be nice to Mank. I don't agree with their politics, but they let him in on the inner circle. So I do think yeah, they like- end up becoming more sympathetic. But at the same time, no wonder. He was being such an asshole to them the whole time. It, it, no wonder he wrote this scalding piece of <laughs> literature or art, whatever you want to call it. So it made, it it gave me some conflicted feelings about Mank overall, but, uh, and also made me somewhat sympathetic for these guys, not the mayor guy who made people take the pay cut I thought that, but Thalberg seemed like a decent dude. Also, the one thing I will say, giving Mank credit for uh, inspiring Republican politics to resort to propaganda with his Thalberg thing, like, okay, he wrote the greatest movie of all time and he's, okay, he's just, he's a real, real, real fella uh it just i think this movie for everything you're tra- you're talking about with orson wallace i feel like this movie was made for that conversation and yeah, not yeah. for the actual audience enjoyment like enjoyment of a modern audience and that's it just again it feels like a pet project i get his yeah. dad wrote it it feels like his <laughs> dad wrote it and i'm not trying to be mean here but it's just not a good movie and i feel like there's so many both tactical mistakes and strategic mistakes. It just, it's a misfire. And it doesn't make me think differently about Orson Welles. It makes me think about differently about Fincher. And that's why I'm wondering if he's better for TV than movies.
1: That's a, oh, Well, for Fincher, it's like, I'll give you I mean, it's like when Benjamin Button happened, I was like, look, you had a great run in the 90s. Like I'll give you like, your Benjamin Button. I think I'm kind of at the same point where it's like, I agree with you. I wish he had done another season of Mindhunter. But you know what? He did two seasons, and he did Gone Girl before that. And it's like, he, you know, he was involved in the House of Cards. It's like, okay, you had a miss with Mink. I don't think it's the end of his career, but I do think I agree with you. It's a miss. It's not like one of his better pieces of
0: work. It's not the end of his career, but if he doesn't do – I'm gonna be a toxic fan right now. If it's not the third season of Mindhunter and it's not really good, I'm gonna be pissed. And I don't feel bad saying that because I'm not it's not like I didn't watch Mindhunter. I'm one of the people who watched it. I had my yep. girlfriend, my girlfriend, no, my wife watched it. Girlfriend at the time, wife watched it. Like we watch it. We watched it. We wanted to watch it again. We're Netflix, we play we're paying customers. We want good Netflix content. So if you're going to throw out another junk, do you want 10 hours of my time or two of satisfied and I'll watch it again or two hours of some crappy, what did his mom write a movie? Does he have some unwritten school project from high school he can do next? Uh, I'm being really mean. Jake's going
1: hard at David Fincher right now.
0: Well, I look, it's been 14 (laughs) years. Excuse me. It's been six years and this is the first movie he's made. And I look at what he's done since then and he's been, really busy with the netflix series and i get it and i'm going to be a selfish fan right now i'm definitely star for content but this is the first movie you do in six years you're gonna this is like george r martin like if you're going to take forever to do your next piece of work it's going to put more pressure on it and then if it fails it's going to even put more pressure on the next one you're going to need I would, he's going to, need well, to win me over now sorry
1: I, I what i think this is like if you're just talking about purely stylistically with this movie the biggest difference to me was the editing style and i just think whatever project he does next whether it's back to mindhunter or another movie i just think he's going to go back to the style of gone girl and girl with the dragon tattoo and social network the, the rapid fire editing i think that's just like what he is and to see him doing this slowed down movie just stylistically was bizarre kind of um and so i don't know i just think i think he had his thing here and it's not like a horrible horrible like it's not the bomb of the century like it's a like we said like gary oldman's great in this movie there's great dialogue there's some great scenes but it's like it's just a miss it's a miss you know
0: it's not a justice league it's not it's not yeah. a complete crater in the earth i'll get yeah it's and i'm coming down harsh on it it's a fine film it's not a good venture film that that's what i'll say i'll leave it at that we're we ready for final scores yeah oh, yeah let's
1: get the final scores um i think Boy, I'm wondering right now if this might get any sort of of the trades uh, Oscar nominations. It might. It might get like a costume or like a, I don't know. But it, I'm hoping it doesn't actually because I don't really think it deserves much. Um, For the performances and uh for some of the scenes and stuff, it's at a certain level. It's just not a great movie for a viewer. So I'm going to come in at like a four and a half.
0: Wow, we've been close this. We've been close recently. I like that. For I'm giving it a five for all the reasons you said. I'm giving it, I think, okay. a slight bump because I found myself getting lost in a lot of the dialogue scenes in a good way. And especially at the Hearst Castle, which a lot of the second act, okay. And once I got settled and I knew what the settings were, uh, I really, some of the dialogue, also the conversations between him and his brother, Tom Pelfrey, who I love, were great. I... It's one of the only movies that's less than the sum of its parts. I really like the dialogue. There was some great zip in some of the that's scenes. That's true.
1: It's like even the sum of it should be much better.
0: You're the, right. the messages, I think it was doing too much and none of it connected, whether it's the William Hurst, the Upton Sinclair, the WGA. Like there's so many yeah. many platonic relationships, his friendship with Marion. There's just all these different things and they're all competing. And they're all be really competing with watching him in traction, writing, uh, like a good portion of the of the film is him drunk drinking in this little room, or like yeah, a, that that around. just that Im- just that image is a bit of a metaphor of like what do Hollywood producers do to
1: writers? And it's like this guy strapped to a chair, wheezing, drinking, like trying to write this screenplay, and it's like that itself was kind of a metaphor.
0: This movie, this movie was an inside joke, and everyone yeah. who's not a child of a writer. It was on the outside or from, I'm sorry, born in the twenties or thirties was on the outside. And that, that's the way I look at it. So, I mean, it probably should be lower than the five, but we've talked about it It does things so well like in terms of setting. And as we said, it, it does all of the little things well. It just was missing those bigger swings It misses on the bigger swings. So I'm giving it a five. Also the overall cast is great.
1: Even my, my uh, you were talking about the Hearst Castle sequences and like, that's kind of my wife got into it when they got there. you know, she's been there. And so she's kind of seen it. And I, that kind of interested her. And <laughs> when Gary Oldman threw up, she was like, Oh, you don't want to do that at Hearst Castle. I was
0: like, no, no, no. It was, yeah, it was. So I'm giving it five. It sounds like we're in the same zone. It's we've seen it. We probably won't yeah. see it again, at least anytime soon. It's, but we're glad we saw it. Cause if you're a Fincher fan, you, you need to see it. Just know what he's up to.
1: Just had to know what he was up to. I wished it I wished it had been better. Um but you know, it was. well let me ask you this. Would you watch this movie or Panic Room?
0: Panic <laughs> Which Room. Which is better. Panic you room. like Panic, pa- Panic Room Panic Room Not saying was, something. That was my top five. That was bumped out by Alien 3 directors cut recently, but I like Panic Room.
1: See, I'm old enough to remember after Fight Club seven in the game, uh Panic Room was like the letdown. Was, Panic Room was the first one after Fight Club, I think. And I remember it was like, oh Jody Foster.
0: Like we were let down by that. So I liked it, but I, I mean, I it, like it. Yeah. It didn't do well in theaters, and it was definitely considered a letdown because it was more commercial. It, it lacked the edge a lot of yeah. the previous films had. Even though it's pretty intense, it's, it's a good, it's a good watch. I'd say it's
1: a good watch, yeah. But it's like you know, I think he comes back pretty strong with Zodiac.
0: And then B- Benjamin Button was well, well, not a great movie, well recognized, made a lot of money, with, yeah. Network, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I liked. And it's a good movie the only problem is it's almost an exact remake for the swedish film that came out a few years before which is also great that's true yeah and gone girl is as we said led pretty legendary and then you got stanky manky bringing up the rear literally literally unfigured like well i mean
1: hey you can like alien 3 more than Mank, jake you're, you're totally you're totally welcome to
0: <laughs> mink thanks thanks thank you Mank.
1: All right, so that's a, well, I get a four and a half for me and a five from Jake. Watch it if you like Fincher, skip it if, you know, you don't care about it. Yeah, let's
0: get... skip. <laughs> right, or si- if
1: you've seen Citizen Kane, maybe this one just yeah, you both. Uh,
0: watch I Citizen can. Kane. If you, if, you haven't, if you haven't seen Citizen Kane, watch Citizen Kane. That's what I'm doing next.
1: I should have I su- I suggested that we do
0: them both as like a thing, but we didn't do that. We can do that <laughs> next time. Next time, we'll do, we'll do it for our, our annual Mank rewatch. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> Uh, I think it's time to sign off. All right. you wanna goodbye, say goodbye? People. Oh, you get me to the punch.